Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi everyone, welcome to Adventures in Autism, episode 43. I am Megan Carranza, thank you so much for coming to listen. I just have to start by saying thank you so much again to everyone who has reached out and left reviews or sent messages, it means so much to me. I love hearing from you guys. And today's episode I am super excited about. I have an autism dad coming on the pod today. His name is Tim. He runs a really awesome account on Instagram called Autism Dads. And we will talk about this on the episode, but that was how him and I had initially connected. And I just really enjoy following not only his journey as an autism parent, but also just everything he's sharing on his account. It's really insightful and very thought provoking. And I've wanted him on the podcast for a while. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear this episode. Tim not only shares his journey with with his son and autism, but he also talks about his issues with mental health and anxiety. And I know a lot of people will be able to relate. So I'm really, I'm really appreciative of him for being so open and honest. I did have a little issue with uh, just the very beginning part of our audio. So it almost starts like mid-sentence. <laughs> so I apologize for that. But I think that the episode itself is awesome. And we had a really great conversation that I think you guys will really enjoy. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tim. There, I feel like there's so much for us to talk about. So Tim is like the original autism dad on Instagram. <laughs> um, I just got lucky and the uh, handle was open. I know that is lucky. You really did. Yeah. But you've done yeah. such a great, great job with it. So Tim and I had initially connected on Instagram I think it was back when I had first started my, my account for the podcast. I had, it was like one of those, you should follow this person. And I started following you and I just, I loved all the questions, the very insightful questions you were asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we also realized through like, I don't even know that we're like neighbors. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We live like just a couple towns apart, which is so crazy. Cause I feel like in the Instagram world, I talked to someone today who's from Malaysia. So it's like, you don't mm-hmm. ever know who you're connecting with. Um, such a little funny side, side story, but yeah. yeah. So Tim has a, an adorable little son named Rafa, um, who has autism. And if you would kind of take us back to the beginning with your, with your journey with your son, I would love to hear it. Mm-hmm, of course. So Rafa was born, um, in the latter part of 2014 and he was born five weeks, um, preterm. Um, so we spent um, about three and a half weeks in the NICU, um, my wife and I were fortunate enough to be able to stay in a room there. Um, my work was flexible enough in the holidays, et cetera. Um, we actually spent his first Christmas in, in the NICU. Um, so he just had some, some, you know, early born issues. Um, his suck swallow was really bad. Um, so he wasn't gaining weight and, um, he had a couple bouts with jaundice. Um, so we finally got everything figured out and were able to take him home just before the new year. Um, but those were, you know, we'll, we'll talk through it, but those were some signs early on of some things that we would end up dealing with later. Um, 
So at four months, he started, um, I guess it was physical therapy at that point, um, through an early intervention program here in Illinois. And he, um, it was basically, he refused to do tummy time. He literally couldn't hold his head up. Um, and it was shortly after that, I guess, that we heard the term hypotonia, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of lack of tension in the muscles. Um, so this wasn't him being stubborn. This was he physically wasn't fit at this at that point to to do these kind of developmental tasks mm-hmm. um and then so that helped us we got a nutritionist in and my wife um well even in the hospital my wife had some support with breastfeeding um that was something we always wanted to do um and we found a balance between kind of breast milk in the bottle and we had to do some formula at some point mm-hmm. at one point we were counting like grams and pushing calories so hard everything had avocado in it and everything had olive oil in it um getting those calories any way you can yes yeah but um so you know it's one thing i always say is his first non-family friend was this um physical therapist uh, through early interventions um and so then i don't know exactly the timelines but after that uh, the therapy picked up a little bit so he got an occupational therapist to help kind of with executive functioning of a you know eight month old or a 10 month old um he has like a little um goofy thumb it was kind of malformed at birth so some of it was like you know motor skills and picking things up and they wanted to make sure he was functioning properly in that way and hitting some developmental milestones um yeah so the hypotonia you know it carried on he he kind of made a lot of noises on 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 track um then you know wasn't kind of his his lips weren't forming the shapes that they should be and his tongue maybe wasn't working the way it should and so that's where like kind of the next step of the hypotonia and then something that we would find out would be part of a diagnosis for childhood apraxia of speech mm-hmm. um so yeah little guy's a trooper uh he's he's had kind of ongoing therapy since four months old um you know, we just, that was our focus was just, you know, we know he's delayed in some things. Um, thankfully he was always the happiest kid, always smiling. Um, you know, this is a, an autism conversation that, you know, we know the stigma and the, the, the rumors, if you will, about lack of eye contact and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. But especially with family members and those in his kind of intimate circle, there was never much of that. Mm-hmm. Um, he always made eye contact. He was always smiling. He seemed to read people really well. He, we joked for a long time that he was kind of our radar. <laughs> like you meet someone and if he's, if he connects with them, then great. And otherwise like, all right, let's go. <laughs> I always say that about Logan too. I'm like, yeah, he can like sniff out the good people before we have any idea. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's amazing. So, I know it is like, a that's so funny radar. Um, will you just back up a little bit and explain a little bit more of the apraxia diagnosis? Cause I, I don't yep. think that it's come up on the podcast before. If it has, it's been like kind of glossed over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll give you kind of the symptoms that led up to the diagnosis. Okay. Um, he, he was late for, with crawling. He crawled a little bit goofy and I'm not sure that had a ton to do with the apraxia. Uh, and the hypotonia that was is related to the apraxia, but um, he walked, he was started walking late and he's always kind of been clumsy. So that's another symptom or sign of, of this apraxia. Mm. So um, 
so okay so childhood apraxia of speech um i'm not 100 percent sure of the differences but regionally especially i think in the uk it's called verbal dyspraxia mm-hmm. and um on my instagram account there was some debate about it between some you know people in the medical clinical no um but it's basically a wiring issue um neurologically between the brain and some of the motor planning typically around the mouth and in regards to speech. So, um, you know, several of us just inherently learn to make noises and form sounds and everything kind of connected and made sense. And with the apraxia, at least the way I understand it is that he knows what he wants to say, uh, or the, you know, the sounds he needs to be making and all that, but it's just that the, the signals not getting from his brain to the specific muscles or, um, nerves in in his you know uh, mm-hmm. jaw and tongue and um mouth lips etc so it, a lot of the broader symptoms are hypotonia which then lead to that poor suck swallow response he whenever he got colds when he was younger the gag reflex would kick in like crazy it always seemed like he was gonna throw up mm. um i think if there was uh so his kind of clumsiness um his balance like he's it's weird because he's very good with hand-eye coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that I, I'm blessed with and his little brother is blessed with. Um, but it's just like uh, um, he, his body's not responding as fast. So in the, in the right situation, you know, he could catch the ball or um, he knows that he's in his peripheral vision, he's stepping over things properly. Um, but just his response time is not quite right. So his falls when he was learning to walk and all that were brutal because he couldn't get his arms out in time. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of those kind of natural reflexes, um, they might be there, but they just, he wasn't able to uh, enable them, you know, in the right time. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, I appreciate you explaining that. I also think it's interesting too. Do you think it was because he already was diagnosed with hypotonia that they were like, thinking, Oh, it's apraxia and not just a speech delay. Cause he was really little at that point. Wasn't he? We didn't actually get the apraxia diagnosis till maybe two and a half. Okay. Um, and some of that's just be, just like with autism, they're hesitant to test, um, you know, do the diagnosis testing and mm-hmm. run through that before they can do certain things. Um, so he just wasn't to the point. It's kind of ironic, but he, you know, he wasn't to the point where he could make certain sounds for them to do the or yeah. or pay attention enough. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the hypotonia. So we always, um, he was kind of uh, like a medical guinea pig, if you will, with the pediatrician who we loved very, very much. And it was never, it never felt sterile or clinical in that way. It was always like, let's, let's try to find out what, you know, what he's got going on and yeah. how we can support him. Um, so there was genetic testing and um, dietary things and allergies and um you know, a lot of kids mm-hmm. on the spectrum at least deal with um, kind of GI right. issues. And um, yeah, so it was just, we were always had an eye on different things. And I think it was around 18 months, maybe a little bit later, where we first heard the term apraxia mm-hmm. um, from like a kind of a guest uh, OT that we had. Um, and it just kind of, you know, it was one of those things in passing. We've heard a ton of terms over the, over the, the years. Uh, and then because his speech was really, really delayed, um, early interventions kind of suggested that we get further diagnosis. And, 
um, the pediatrician referred us to some specialists and, and that was a pretty quick uh, diagnosis. Mm-hmm. But it was also the first time where they were like, you could tell they were monitoring them for something else in the, in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had to ask at the end, like, wait, well, what about childhood apraxia of speech? And it was like a, oh, yeah, definitely. It was like a line item at the end of the summary. Oh, um, oh. They were like, in a couple months, you should, or you should call and get on list now because there's a waiting list, yeah. but it's time you should have him screened for autism. And, uh, you know, and that was a lot of just like some hyper focus and he had been, you know, lining things up mm-hmm. and it, it, there definitely weren't overt symptoms at that point. Um, we always kind of like everyone was like, no way he doesn't have it. You know, my mom's taught for 20 years in preschool, no way. (laughs) And all of our therapists and, you know, I give credit to those doctors now in that clearly they knew what they're doing and what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, whether we were in denial or not, I don't know, but that's what I was going to say. Was it surprising for you when they initially said that when they like brought up autism? I don't. I don't think so. We, you know, like I said, it was, there was lots of stuff where we had explored all of these kind of more rare um, disorders or, or syndromes, you know, based on all these, this collection of symptoms that, you know, it just nothing, the dots never connected in a way that it was obvious what was Mm -hmm. going on. Um, So it was kind of like a, Oh, okay. I think I had read that. um, I can't remember the kid, the Japanese kid that wrote the the reason I jump. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I was really moved by that. And Mm -hmm. I think at that point we kind of knew that special needs was our future. Okay. Um, You know, the, we were looking up these like videos of college kids with apraxia and, you know, they have a, an accent, if you will, that, you know, sounds like they were deaf, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, but intellectually there's no problems. They were, you know, graduating uh, college and um, doing all that. So, you know, that was where, that was the, the, I don't want, not the light at the end of the tunnel, but that was what, where we were at, where we were like, okay, right. the prognosis here is he might sound different and that's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then moving forward, because I mean, I, before you guys got your diagnosis, but we were on like an eight month list to get Logan diagnosed once we actually like, got all of our paperwork mm-hmm. together for that. Um, so what did, what did that look like for you then once you actually like, were going forward with seeking the diagnosis for autism? Hmm, let's see. So, okay. I think I'm pretty sure we got in to get his, like with the specialist for apraxia, it was like. July or August of twenty four of twenty sixteen, mm-hmm. um, and we got a call like on a Thursday morning that was like, "Hey, we had a cancellation. You know, your appointment's in two more months, but can you come in?" Oh wow! So that was for the apraxia. So that's when okay. So we walked out with an apraxia diagnosis, and then immediately we're like, "Oh, oh God, we have to research all this autism stuff. Like, what's the best way to go about this diagnosis? You know, just." You know, that's my wife came, worked in academia mm-hmm. um, until kind of diagnosis came through and she was a research librarian. So this was something we were keen on mm-hmm. exploring. Um, so then they were like autism. And we're like, OK, so that's August. We got into Easter Seals of DuPage County um, in December, like four days shy of his third birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife ha- was in California um, at a, she was in a wedding. So it was just like, th- this is how the cards are falling and this is how we'll do it. So I Skyped her in for some of the 
preliminary conversations. And um, of course, the it's one of these bigger medical type buildings and the room we were in had almost no reception. So I couldn't call her in for the results, you know, the conversation okay. with the doctor afterwards. But mm-hmm. um, so by so, OK, so he was diagnosed just a few days shy of his third birthday. So we went from knowing it was apraxia and waiting several months to get the diagnosis in August to December, having both di- diagnosis for autism and apraxia. So it was a lot to digest. Yeah. And it, there was a time between the two. So the, we had this first mention of autism. And I want to say, I'd have to clarify with my wife, I don't think at in two and a half years of early intervention that anyone ever said autism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it, it was just a, oh, okay. I, I wasn't personally shell-shocked, but it was just like, a, okay, something else to explore. Yeah. But then in the kind of month or so leading up to the actual diagnosis, I was much more, embra- I was, I, I'm going to say embracing, it's not the right word, but I was more embracing the, the possibility of that. And one conversation that my wife and I have recollected since is I was kind of like committed at that point like you know I I think he's autistic and um, she was more in tune with the OT group and um, a speech therapist that we've had to this day that is a very you know as a confidant and very much part of our inner circle they were all like no no so she was you know hesitant to start thinking that way Mm -hmm. but one evening I was just like you know that something we need to think about is that Rafa might live with us forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I'm very much a, a realist yeah. in, in most things. So it was just like a matter of a fact, like, you know, the other part of that, the contrast of that is he's not going to live with us forever. It was just a thing. Mm-hmm. And she was upset by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, later and, and since it's been like a, you know, Tim, you were a little bit more forward thinking than I was at that point. But, you know, um, I don't think at this point that that's, what we're thinking he's not going to live with us forever he'll be you know out on his own at some point but mm-hmm. um and then it's interesting it that you that you bring that up because so we were in a similar kind of a situation where early intervention doctors like the the only person who had ever said autism to me was once logan started preschool the speech therapist who i didn't really have like a great uh just impression of him. I didn't really love how he was with Logan. He was the first person that said to me, has anyone ever said that like he might have autism? And it was like the way he said it was like very cavalier. And up until that point, I had thought it many times and I had talked about it with, like you said, like the OTs and early intervention or the speech therapist or any Mm -hmm. teachers. And it was, it was so funny. Everyone was like, I don't think it's autism. They kept saying he had a global delay. So he was kind of delayed. Yeah. Yes. Not, he never had any like physical delays, but like fine motor was delayed. So gross motor was fine, but like fine motor was delayed. Speech was delayed. Just like cognitive delay. Um, And I think back now, like kind of like you were saying, like nobody ever said it. Like I think back now and I'm like, did they just, were they sparing my feelings or did they really not think that it was autism? Mm -hmm. And it was like, like that for me and my husband too. Like we both were like, kind of in different like area like we we didn't really know what to think at that point totally and that that triggers a memory um so we actually went to easter seal prior so after apraxia diagnosis before autism um i don't remember even what we were really there for but there was a 
um, a specialist, a doctor of some sort that was much colder than, you know, other people we worked with. And he had a lab coat on. Mm-hmm. Um, he had us in a room and he was saying, I, I think it's, I, you know, I'm going to let you leave here with a global developmental delay um, label. Mm-hmm. And he went into this conversation that was really <laughs> limited bedside manners. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. And it was like, um, you know, I have no, I have no concerns that he'll do great things. And, you know, hopefully he can, you know, uh, donate money to, to our organization later in life. Like, I think he'll succeed there. What the? And, <laughs> but really no, it gets worse. He went on to say, like, he went on to say, my concern is that he'll have trouble dating and finding love. And, oh my you know, God. it was like, a, my God, we have, he's like, we're Baby. worried about potty training. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so that really hurt my wife um you know I deal with emotions a little bit differently and kind of wrote him off um you know just as you know he's one of those um so yeah that was something you know like you brought up the global developmental delay yeah yeah. you know what's so funny though is hearing you say that I remember like right after Logan got diagnosed and I was you know kind of telling like closer friends and family like about the diagnosis so many people asked me that like they were like so is he gonna like be able to date <laughs> like everything mm-hmm. mine goes there and it was mm-hmm. so funny because again like I have this he was he had just turned four when he got diagnosed but I'm like I'm like he is four years old <laughs> why are you <laughs> thinking about his love life and also like maybe he won't want to date like let's just right you know what I mean like let's just and I just recently was having this conversation with a couple of friends and I was kind of saying that you know like like we we may end up dealing with that we may not either way it's okay i mean it's Mm -hmm. how like people like go there so quickly Mm -hmm. like babies it's so weird (laughs) yeah no totally i guess maybe that's a culturally that uh, that's where we're at i don't know yeah yeah i mean and i and i get it because like my friend was saying like she's like you know a lot of adult older adults in the spectrum it's like they they still want that companionship and of course if they want it then it's like we want that for them but i think Mm -hmm. first it's like well let's you know let's not put the cart before the horse like let's just like right get to that point and then we'll we'll kind of move along with it Mm -hmm. um okay so so then it sounds like you guys had quite a quite a journey leading up to the diagnosis and then Mm -hmm. at that point how did you move forward in terms of like I mean, just like how you were feeling, but also with like therapy and just like getting a game plan. Yeah. So I had started as we were coming up on diagnosis day, um, I was expecting it and planning for it. Mm -hmm. I I wanted it actually at that point because, you know, I was I was worried about some things like that I don't really know about. Like, is there some weird database that he's going to get tagged in as autistic? And, um, you know, without going into politics, you know, things at least in America are, are a little bit weird right now. And mm-hmm. I just, that's not something that I was ready for or knew about. So my wife was concerned that he would have this label or that, you know, all this other stuff. And someone told us like, you, you are the controller of his diagnosis. You can tell who you want, right. and, you know, who you don't need. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking like, um, okay. So if we get an autism, autism diagnosis, I, I work for a, global like holding company so our benefits are really really nice i'm very privileged in that regard so i had done some research and found that there was like ridiculously good coverage um for autism that's amazing (laughs) yes and and knowing that we were coming out of early intervention Mm -hmm. 
so it was like, okay, we, we need this to continue to support him, whether it's valid or not, kind of who cares, let's game the system if that's not the case. Right, because you needed the diagnosis and the, the label right. of autism to access those right. services. Yeah. Yep. Otherwise, we're hitting like, you know, you get 30. I think without it, I would personally, our insurance would give us like 30 days of speech, which is like, you know, half hour or 45 minutes a day um, for the year. So it was like, uh, we're going to, yeah, we're going to run out of this quickly. We met with the local, the school district and kind of found out what we were, where we would be at. And it was like, you know, he would be going from like four days a week of speech to 30 to 45 minutes for the whole week. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I was selfishly like, OK, we need this. Um, I think my my wife understood that logically and intellectually, but emotionally wasn't ready for it. OK, that makes sense. And th- yeah. And then we just had a lot of there was still some hesitant people after diagnosis. The, some of our therapists were still like, I don't know. And um, my mom was very respectful and like the well they're the doctors they know they know best um uh yeah so then you you got the diagnosis and that's amazing that you have such great insurance that's awesome um did you guys start with like aba or what did that look like in terms of therapy definitely not aba that was that came a little bit later obviously there's a lot of um definitely the older actually autistic community has strong thoughts about Mm -hmm. aba uh, historically, it's definitely been a um, a non-positive kind of almost animalistic thing mm-hmm. um, historically. So we, okay, let me think. So when we were graduating from early intervention, I had found, so um, my wife's Mexican. I, we live in a multicultural bilingual house. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing for us was we, we always wanted Spanish to be his first language. Oh. Um, So technically, I think sign language is his first language, but Mm -hmm. um, he still, he goes to a Spanish immersion school. That's that's his first language. Um, So I found a speech therapist that taught in our school district that also did private stuff that was bilingual. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was our transition was giving up our early intervention speech therapist that we loved so much who wasn't in the place to continue on as a private therapist to this um, bilingual therapist that has, you know, radically changed his life and and the way he's communicating. Um, And speech was kind of our focus that we were still at a point where apraxia had kind of controlled our life for a while, especially retrospectively. And autism was this new thing. So we knew that speech was still one of the main focuses. And to this day, speech is his biggest need where he needs the most support. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, he's like a happy autistic kid. His, his tantrums are tantrums. He's rarely melting down on anything. He has some sensory issues, but he's like, I'm happy. I'm flapping and jumping. Everyone smiles. It's, it's contagious. You know, at this point in time before the teenage angst and all that, we're very (laughs) lucky. Yeah. Logan Uh, is like that too. He's like a happy stimmer for sure. And we mm -hmm. love that about him. Totally. Um, yeah, I totally, I, I hear you for sure. Although I think it's interesting because I feel like a lot of times ABA does have that stigma from, like you said, like kind of the the older school of thought. Um, yes. We, and this has come up so many times in the podcast and I talk about it all the time. But I mean, we've done ABA with Logan now for the past like year and a half. And mm-hmm. just like, just like Rafa, he's, he's super happy. And we're not trying to like take away, like we let him stim and that's no, unless he's hurting himself, which he doesn't have any of those kind of behaviors. Right. Um, we don't 
he, he he's we don't try to limit that at all um but i think the interesting thing about aba is especially like you know like what i've seen for my son it's really just helped him in all areas like so it's, it's helped him with his speech it's helped him with, mm-hmm. he doesn't have any sensory issues either he's really just a sensitive person he wants to like touch everything put everything mm-hmm. out, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff um but i do i do feel like it, it encompasses more than what um the the perception of it might be it's re- it's not you know this like at least our our what we've seen of it it has really just been so beneficial for logan and it has honestly helped him so much just in in who he is as a person i hate to use terms like high functioning low functioning but it's mm-hmm. it's helped him to just function in his own way and to reach his potential is what i mean mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so so that's why I just I think it's important to to talk about. I think I think yeah. it does get a bad rap. <laughs> it does, and I think I like to help help you know, yeah. change the conversation a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so I think that if you use like the level one, two, three, one being minimal support needed, two being some, and three being you know needs a lot of support. Mm-hmm. Rafa's always been well. Most recently, they would call him, but somewhere level two, but leaning towards level one. Okay. And one thing that we've used ABA for is just to augment his abilities to kind of push him into that level one category in a lot of social settings. So as his, so we have an ABA therapist that's with him at school Mm -hmm. every day. Um, And so they're contriving situations and making sure he's interacting where he needs with, uh, with full respect for him and his comfort levels. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one thing just recently we had an ABA therapist that, that we, t- you know, we text with him and she was saying something about trying to get him to put his hands in his pocket to focus. And I was like, you know, record stop. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. And I immediately called like the head BCBA, like, is this part of your, you know, the programming or anything you're working mm-hmm. on? And, um, you know, we talked more with the, the day-to-day behavioral therapist and it was more just like they were trying to stand and listen and, you know, it was like one of those contextual things where it's like, okay, don't do it again. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to fire you right now. Um, but we, we're but not that's one thing that, that, yeah, we definitely, right. Yes. We don't, we haven't had too many issues like that, but there've been a couple of times where something has come up and I was like, mm, I'm not cool with that. And they're like, that's fine. Mm-hmm. They're hands off. So, we, mm-hmm. so he does do ABA. He does. Okay. Um, at like, I think they're recommended at 30 hours right now. Okay. Um, he doesn't quite get all of that just because of schedules mm-hmm. of other therapies yeah. and whatever. Um, but yeah, no, it's just the, you know, the downside of the modern. Well, I will say we checked a bunch of ABA places. Um, we definitely weren't going to take him to a windowless room. And there absolutely is, are those places to this day mm-hmm. um, that he wasn't going to go there for hours on end. Um, it needed to be something where he could be in his natural element at home, mm-hmm. at school with his friends. Mm-hmm. Um, well, with his peers, I wouldn't quite call them friends. Um, uh, yeah, so that was something we sought out. So we found a place that would be in home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that was really important to us and maybe to others out there listening is that it was a, well, quick disclaimer. I think I said, I'm a realist. I have limited filters. So this is telling it like it is <laughs> the ABA company was white, 26 year old, brown haired ladies. Okay. <laughs> And that was just something where we were like, okay, well, ideally at school, there's a Spanish, someone that speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. It's a Spanish immersion school. It's disruptive otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, his 
life is a bit more diverse than that. Um, so we were able to help them diversify kind of their BT roster. So okay. that was from an advocate perspective, that felt good. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And so he's had, we lost a therapist not too long ago and definitely a, a big friend of Rafa that was, let's see, he was um, from Palestine, but he grew up in Puerto Rico. So he spoke like four languages. Oh, wow. Um, so he was in home a lot and spoke Spanish and, it, you know, mm-hmm it helped us kind of carry that on. So we've definitely found a very human ABA company. And I know I'm, you know, you and I can both attest that they are out there and yeah. they exist. Um, well, I think what you said too, about just like, just because you have, you know, the, the team in place and everything seems to be working. Like you said, there, there's still going to be, you know, things that pop up, like putting the hands in the pocket. There's, there's gonna be things mm-hmm. where you're going to have to, you I mean you, you you continue to advocate regardless of you know what's what's set in place already, um, but I think that as long as you yeah like stay on top of it with those things and like you said doing your research and and feeling comfortable because I I do think there are so many moving parts with ABA and just like how you were saying like Rafa is your radar and like I was saying Logan too like if if I felt like Logan wasn't jiving with someone like mm-hmm. that would be the end of it you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. that's just kind of like the, the first and last part of it. So I think it's just so important for you as a parent to feel comfortable and to see that your child feels comfortable. And that way you kind of know like, okay, they're, they're in a good spot. Yeah. That, and that brings up something that we were told early on, even before autism was in the picture was, or I think I read it in a book about apraxia, but it was basically like, don't become friends with your therapist. <laughs> um, or if you do, just have your priorities in check because if the time you you have to constantly monitor if things are going as well as they could, if you could be getting better support Mm -hmm. somewhere else. And, um, you know, I, I'm not saying we accepted that as a commandment, Mm -hmm. but it's something that we've definitely kept in check, um, and had to have those conversations. Like if this BCBA lead doesn't get in check, then we're going to have to ask for someone else. Mm And, um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit, it's a fine line, but it's something that, you know, it's helped us keep perspective there. It's so interesting that you say that because I, I mean, these people are like, cause Logan does in-home ABA also. Mm-hmm. And they are like, in some ways, like a part of your family, but it's interesting how, like you said, there's a fine line. Cause there, there really is like, there's, we, we want to feel like so comfortable with them and we do, but at the same time, like, I think you have to keep that. I don't even know the right word too. So you still have to have like a little game space that you when you need to step up and and maybe correct something or just speak up for your kid that you you feel like mm-hmm. you have the the ability to do that because like you said yeah when when it is like your you know your best buddies and you maybe start to feel like a little bit too comfortable but i feel like i don't know at least for me i feel like since having logan and like stepping into this role of like autism mom mama bear like i'll i don't care who you are <laughs> yeah if I need to step up I'll step up (laughs) no totally and that's actually something that you know I always say how he's taught me more than you know in the last four years than anyone in my previous 34 years and um you know shout out to my other son who's a little bit younger he's two um who is providing the same kind of inspiration and and guidance you know I don't want to overshadow him um but one thing that I've advocating for your son your flesh and blood or your children it has just taught me so much and it's pushed me out of my comfort zone in a way that I can't deny like I'm not gonna curl up and be like oh no you know I would I struggle with anxiety and always am like 
oh, I don't feel comfortable saying that, or I'm going to steer clear of this confrontation. And um, so it's benefited me in life. Like my career is, is benefiting from, um, you know, what I'm learning in dealing with therapists and insurance companies and um, school mm -hmm. administration. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It, it definitely it infiltrates its way into other aspects of your life, but it, it really just like pushes you to be better and all those. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So you, you brought up your anxiety, which is something that you've been really open about on Instagram. And I really commend you for that. Is that something that you had, you always struggled with anxiety or did it come out more? Like, did you realize it more with Rafa and then like that sort of pushed you forward or how did that, how did that happen? So I come from a family where feelings were mostly talked about in a positive light. Mm -hmm. um, I struggled with anger issues all growing up, um, which, you know, in hindsight um, is the pretty typical testosterone fueled male way of dealing with sadness. Mm -hmm. um, so have since in, in my mid thirties been diagnosed with bipolar type two, um, which is bipolar without the mania really. Mm -hmm. So it means I'm ridiculously productive <laughs> and then deal with depression oh. more than most people. The productive side sounds pretty good. Oh, and it explains so much about my life. Like I've always been good at what I've done and it's because I can hyper-focus and mm -hmm. um, get tons of stuff done. Um, but that helped me explore mental health as a bigger issue. And um, I then connected dots that I knew my mom was, is medicated for anxiety mm -hmm. Um, I've since my sister has, has figured that out and, um, yeah. And then, so I have the diagnosis of bipolar type two and kind of like a generalized anxiety disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like being able to talk about that on my, on a personal level, of course, makes me a better advocate or, or well-rounded advocate. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't think it's, it's clearly something that culturally a lot of, Americans at least shy away from um, my extended family is Mexican and absolutely they don't talk about that stuff. <laughs> um, so it's, you know, it's put me in an interesting spot. Um, I and then can have conversations with my peers at work. Um, I don't shy away from it. Just kind of like, you know, respectfully, I'm not begging to know what people's mental health status is like, but um, you know, I'm with my employees. It's, I understand, a, you know, you need a mental health, day you know it's just as important as your physical health yeah. mm -hmm. um, so a little bit of that has been was soul searching on my side to help me understand myself and unpack you know years of anger problems and relationship problems you know with my wife it's something we still you know go to couples therapy it's let's talk through these things and some of it's just me literally trying to express my feelings in a way that my wife understands or that help me identify things I need to work on or just look at things differently. Yeah. Do you feel like because you have like stepped into this role of, you know, advocate for Rafa, it's, it's helped you like advocate for yourself more? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, I'm at a different spot where, you know, what, adv what advocacy can I do for myself? I don't really know. You know, <laughs> I'm, I, I've been lucky in a lot of decisions I've made in life and, cards have fallen in my favor. Um, so it's not like I regret things or think I could have done things terribly differently based on the knowledge I have now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't be married to my wife and have my two amazing children. You know, mm -hmm. there's no regrets there. Yeah. Um, it's definitely helped me kind of refocus and calibrate on moving forward, um, especially as I 
you know, still struggle with anger issues and I need to be a role model for my boys, autism or not, mm-hmm. you know, in how to handle emotions. And um, it's definitely opened me up and a lot of credit to my wife, even before clinical clinically approaching this or dealing with medicine or anything. She was very instrumental in like, come on, you jerk, like open up, <laughs> cry, do something. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. Yeah. So absolutely. It's, so my husband is Mexican. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't like when you're saying like, oh, they don't like my, that side of the family. They don't talk about their feelings. I, I've had to like pull that out of him. Oh, mm-hmm. we've been together for like almost 10 years now, married for seven. And I feel like we're, we're still, there's times that I'm like, we're just scratching the surface. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. It is. I mean, like, I think like you said before, like, I think it is harder for men in general. Um, and that's like, you know, me stereotyping, but I do think that that's like, that's, in a lot of cases that's true and then I think like you were saying too like culturally I think and just it's just from family to family too you know some we I was raised in a family where it was like we talked about stuff like I don't know that's just how we were that's why Mm -hmm. I talk all the time um but like my husband (laughs) was was not like it was like things were more you know kind of like swept under the rug and not that I'm criticizing it but it's like I do think that if you can like for me that's how it like people will say to me like oh like I feel like you know you you handle things so well and I'm like I I don't like I definitely like break down about it but it's like I have to talk about it to like get through it and then I feel like okay I've processed it I've talked through it and now I can like handle it but I think Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that their you know their default is to just like bottle it up and I mean over time I can't imagine that'd be good for you no, totally not. I, I actually, so before Autism Dads, I started a, kind of a personal project. It was called One Proud Poppy. <laughs> and it was, it was an approach on parenting and fathering, kind of a way for me to document what I was going through, knowing that um, many fathers are just not as invested at that emotional level or um, need to connect, you know, in a more anonymous fashion or, um, you know, Instagram's great because so many dads can scroll through and double tap, but they don't necessarily have to engage or like vocalize or, mm-hmm. or, you know, talk through anything. It just is a kind of different way of consuming and, and dealing with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's always something that I've pride. I, I pride myself on being a, a hands-on dad and supporting my wife, you know, in kind of a 50, 50 balance. And um, that's kind of, you know, rings more true now that we have a little bit more going on mm-hmm. um, at home. Yeah, I can, I think that comes through um, just, just seeing you on Instagram. I feel like that you, you do a really great job, like being such a hands-on dad. And I think it's, I wish that was just like the case for all dads. I know that it's, it's not always. So I'm really appreciative to see that. Um, that was actually something that I wanted to ask you though, is do you feel like, cause I feel like in parenting in general, it's kind of skewed towards like mom you know what I mean mm-hmm. and then I feel like with with autism like probably even more so <laughs> like it's just like everything is yeah. focused on the mom is that what spurred you to want to start autism dads and like how does how does that feel for you like as the dad kind of on the outside of this like hey I'm here too yeah that yeah absolutely I actually started autism dads because I I had this hypomanic like several weeks um, in uh, two winters. I don't know when a winter ago <laughs> and was like six months ago, I guess it is. Um, and basically wrote most of a book um, about kind of being the dad to a 
you know, a child with autism mm-hmm. and, you know, recognize the limitations of my experience and, and that I, you know, I needed to do more to make it credible and to provide a more well-rounded perspective and everything. So I started autism dads as like, um, well, one in the, in kind of exploring book titles and, you know, wanting to make sure that exists, they, something similar existed on social media. I was like, wait, at autism dads is not taken. Yeah. Yet? <laughs> um, so I grabbed it, yeah. you know, kind of like, okay, cool. This is a sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just kind of wanted to, you know, kind of the way I was writing, you know, it's going to change a lot. I think when I get back to it and take my new knowledge, but it was very like, I'm going to call out your BS, you know, that I was called out on or that I feel I called myself out on in, in dads in um, dads with special needs kids and dads in general, you know, that, that is the thing that dads um, I'm going to speak to America because that's the culture I know. And um, you know, whether they're caught up in a job or two jobs trying to support financially um, or, you know, issues that they've dealt with in growing up and not having that access to their emotions or, um, you know, even my father-in-law is a little bit old fashioned in the way that he thinks my wife should have been changing the diapers, <laughs> you know, and it's like, no, I, I can change the diaper. Right. She's given up her body and her boobs for, <laughs> you know, two years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was how I was approaching the book. And then it was, you know, I can't speak about raising a teenager with autism. I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a daughter with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of that stuff. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to start this Instagram account to one. It's my favorite social media platform at this point. Facebook is too much for me, Mm -hmm. um, too consuming. I just can't. Um, but Instagram is, is my favorite. I went to art school. I like the short, the the pretty pictures and the, (laughs) you know, kind of the abstract. And that's just where I found myself naturally. And, um, yeah, just ran with it. It was about, you know, posing questions geared at dads. It's since evolved, you know, because, um, you know, like we're saying, a large part of the autism parenting community is our moms. Mm -hmm. Um, um, But then my goal was just like, okay, I I need answers to some questions. Um, I'm not comfortable face to face with some guy uh, at a bar talking about (laughs) how we're dealing with this life. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was that was my channel and um, just continued to be like, you know, okay, this is a tough question that no one wants to talk about. Um, uh, this is how I'm feeling. I know others are probably feeling the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then highlighting dads that I'm inspired by or, or you know, that I think are cool. <laughs> um, look at this guy doing yoga with his, his you know, 13-year-old. Um, look at the way this guy's um, flirting with his, you know, four-year-old daughter that's nonverbal. Mm-hmm. Like, they're having so much fun. Um, so yeah, I mean, that has caught traction. And then I've learned so much about letting the autistic, the actually autistic community lead the conversation Mm -hmm. and that there are plenty of articulate, active Instagram users, um, Twitter users, Facebook groups of educated, um, often strongly opinionated, Mm -hmm. um, experienced autistic people. They've lived the experience. Mm -hmm. Um, so now I, I'm very grateful in that there's a good chunk of people I've connected with on Instagram that follow Autism Dads that I know are willing to jump into a conversation and say, well, hold on, neurotypical parent. Like, <laughs> I'm also a parent and I am a nonverbal aut- autistic person, mm-hmm. you know, like 
this is my experience or this is actually how we preferred to be labeled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, that's ridiculously eye-opening um, on my part. And I think some autistic autism parents really struggle with getting called out. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, no, you don't know me or my kid. Um, you know, you don't know our situation. And that's partly true. But but these are autistic people that have lived the experience and have gone to school and have struggled with bullying or um, never were no one gave them the credit of being intelligent because they couldn't talk. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the, the varying combinations of things on the spectrum and the and the comorbidities, all the coexisting conditions. Yeah, um, it's just it opened up a world of learning for me and every day it's just like okay I'm a better advocate today because of these comments yesterday yeah no I I totally agree I this was like when I before I started the podcast um I might have talked about it like early in the first few episodes you know when Logan was first diagnosed like I didn't know kind of where to turn for like support or just information in general and you know if you search autism what pops up Mm-hmm. and it was like I thought okay these people want to help autism you know what I mean like I had no idea that autism speaks was so like disliked and it had such a bad stigma and mm-hmm. then from you know starting the podcast and like talking more with you know actually people and, like learning more I was like oh my god wait a second autism speaks is not cool <laughs> yeah and now like I like we we had many friends that that walked um just I mean you know just recently in Chicago was the autism speak walks we had done it the last two years we didn't do it this year I'm like I'm not mm-hmm. raising money for autism speaks I'm just mm-hmm. I would so much rather raise money for you know smaller nonprofits that are actually benefiting people on the spectrum um but if it weren't for those conversations and me saying like or me stepping back and being like, you know what, like these people, like they know what's up and I don't. So like, I yeah. need to learn from them. Um, I think that I, I love that, that you, like I was saying in the beginning, all the, the questions that you ask, cause I just, I like seeing all the different answers and sometimes it is parents, sometimes it is, you know, actually autistic people. And I just think that like, we can all learn so much from each other. And kind of like you said, that some people don't like getting called out, but it's like, how are you mm-hmm. going to learn? How are you going to grow? You know? Yeah. 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 I, so I, my wife did a good job in that, you know, I'm a, a, a privileged white man at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. So learning a lot from her as she was, she wrote, um, she wrote some stuff that was published about diversity and librarianship. Um, and, you know, we had a lot of arguments over f- thing, ways that I was conditioned growing up and her providing the perspective and sometimes me arguing and she being like, she's like, you cannot argue this. I'm telling you, you know, what the Latina experience was mm-hmm. or what it is. Um, and so it opened me up like I'm very, I never would have 10 years ago apologized quickly or been like, you know what, you're right. Mm-hmm. But um, there's still times where I ask questions or pose things a certain way um, where my wife cringes. <laughs> and I'm like, I, you're not asking it, though. I am. Yeah. And I'm willing to take the heat you know, on the Instagram comments, should it get a little hairy? <laughs> um, but, you know, some of it's, that's truly what I'm thinking. Or some of it is, I'm wording this way intentionally because I know Autism Speaks parents maybe <laughs> are, I have only been exposed to a way of talking about it in a certain way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that's how, that's how we're all going to learn, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that I, I will always go to bat for is when people try to badmouth ABA. <laughs> 
Yeah. Because I just, I, I totally get it that there's people that have had the bad experiences and I don't want to like minimize that, but I, I don't, I don't like this idea that like ABA is abusive because like for anyone to think in any capacity that I would put my child in a abusive situation, just like, no, (laughs) that's no. Right. That's where I'm always like, I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry if you had a bad experience, but like, I, I would never do that to my kid. And so I don't want anyone to think like, this is when I'm talking about ABA, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that I've been quick, not aggressively responding to comments this way, but I think that it's important to know the flip side of the coin. Yeah. And a teenage, a teenager with autism can teach me tons mm-hmm. about being a teenager with autism. Yeah. They're also not a parent. Right. Right. And so we deal with things as autism parents that we're actually just dealing with a parenting issue that is maybe compounded or magnified because of autism. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I agree with you. ABA is not a black and white issue, at least not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it needs to be a valid potential source of support yeah. for families. Yeah. Well, especially because, like I said, I mean, I, I know for us and for so many of the parents that I've talked to, like ABA, it, it really is like a lifeline. Um, mm-hmm. So, but then just, just recently I've had a couple guests that I've interviewed who had, did not have a great experience with ABA. And I think it's important to hear but like mm-hmm. you said, both sides of the coin. I don't want to just like skew it in one direction. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, like I said, I really, I love your account. I, I love everything you're sharing. I think that you have started a lot of really important conversations and just spread a lot of knowledge that autism dad, autism mom, sister, brother, whatever. I just think we can all learn so much from. No, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the pod. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been many, a long time coming, um, and I I'm so glad that you uh, that we finally got gotcha. you. Yeah, we'll have to check in in a well if we can't meet in person at some point, we'll need to check in on the pod again. I know we talked about in some period of time. Yeah, we need to. We definitely need to do play. Day. Oh, but really quick because I know Rafa's doing so amazing. Will you talk a little bit about just like how he's doing now? Because it's like all of a sudden he is like I, it seems like he's just like blocking. yeah. Yep. So one plug there will be that we, my wife and I keep a more personal uh, experience, uh, collection of our journey um, on Instagram. It's at findingrafasvoice.com. Yes. And that was, or not.com, but at, at yeah. findingrafasvoice. <laughs> and we started it when we were focused on speech and, and apraxia. And it was like, um, you know, we just, we just want to hear him talk. Yeah. Um, you know, he, we know he has stuff to say and, um, we started that so you can follow it more closely there, but he is just doing incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've been doing speech like four days a week and the, and the ABA and we, I think in about a year, we're about a year into he's gluten-free and like his behavior changed radically mm-hmm. after he went gluten-free. That's amazing. Um, he was able to focus better and his emotional management was, was much more, you know, on par with where it should be. And, um, it didn't take away from him as a person. He, he's a happy, happy kid and a happy stimmer. And, a um, he has in maybe like the last three or four months, his speech, he just found his speech, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, like younger kids and especially with speech issues, he's a little bit hard to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but his confidence levels have soared because of it. Um, you know, he introduced his mom to his, his peers at school recently. Oh. He's like, you know, this is my mom. Um, 
you know, the articulation isn't there. He, I don't know if the kids at school fully understand him, but, um, he's getting, you know, I, oh oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're dealing with things now. He's four and a half. He has a two year old brother who can be a total jerk sometimes. And, (laughs) um, but even with that, you know, he used to just whack him and hit him or kick him without second thought. And we've gotten to a point both because of our personal involvement, mom and dad and and grandparents and ABA where he's using his words. You know, I would have him practice yelling like, no, Emiliano, no. And, and he would practice it. And just in the last two weeks, he's going there first. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So it's something that we talk about a lot. The apraxia of speech is something that um, I would erase in a minute, you know, that's just, that's a speech problem. It's, it's, prohibiting him from you know talking about his himself and telling jokes and you know bringing out what how he is as a person Mm -hmm. um you know we won't touch on the whole cure conversation but (laughs) autism absolutely makes rafa who he is Mm -hmm. um and the speech just kind of holds him back from expressing that yeah Uh, so yeah that's we talk about that a lot, that speech is 100% the most important therapy that we do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, like you were saying, you there's there's a, a heartbreak that comes from not being able to hear your child's voice that I know very well. I don't want to cry. Um, so but when, yeah. I, when I see Rafa just, like, blossoming, it, like, it just warms my heart so much. And I'm so happy for you guys because yeah, it's thank amazing. You. It really is. Okay, now I'm getting all proclaimed. Okay, well, <laughs> thank you so much, Tim, for, for coming on the pod and for sharing your story. And just for, like I was saying, for everything you do on Instagram and just for the autism community in general, I just think that it's it's so important and so valuable. Yes, thank you so much. Um, it was great talking to you, Megan, and I'm hoping we can meet up at a play place or a playground or yes, we um, need to something, sure. especially yeah. with warm weather. Yeah, now that so, it's finally, finally getting nice yeah. in Chicago. All right, well, you take care. All right, make sure everyone follows at Autism Dads oh, yeah. on Instagram. Of course. At Autism Dads <laughs> right. and at Finding Rafa's Voice. Yes, perfect. Yeah. Okay, thank you right. so much. Thank you. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye. Bye. For you, the listeners of Adventures in Autism podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I often get asked for book recommendations related to autism, and one that I always go back to is called The Out of Sync Child by Carol Kranowitz, and it was actually recommended to me by a friend who is also an OT, and I read this book years ago before Logan was even diagnosed. It's not necessarily just for autism. It also goes into like sensory processing disorder or ADHD, but it's just very valuable information and a really great resource that I still pull from today, even though I read it years ago. So that's a really good one. Sometimes just to get my mind off things, I also just enjoy good old chiclet. <laughs> I love anything by Emily Giffen, like Something Borrowed or Something Blue, and those are available on Audible as well, but you can pick from any of their titles. So to download Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. All one word. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism for your free audiobook. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Tim. I just have to say once again, 
thank you to Tim for coming on the pod and representing the dads. When I first started the show, I, I had a vision of just talking with all different people, you know, parents and siblings and professionals. And I was really thinking that it would be you know, an easy thing <laughs> to find dads that, that wanted to come on the pod. And slowly but surely, I actually have recently recorded with a couple of dads. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but I, I'm super appreciative of him for, for coming on and kind of breaking the ice with the dads. So dads, if you're out there, hit me up. I would love to hear from you. I think it's so valuable to hear the different perspectives from anyone who is a part of this journey, whether you are a mom, a dad, sister, brother anybody. (laughs) Um, So yeah, definitely follow him on Autism Dads. You don't have to be a dad to follow. It's just an awesome account. And if you are a dad and you would like to share your story on the pod, hit me up. I'm open for business. So once again, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, please, if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple podcast, I would really appreciate it. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism podcast or on Instagram at Adventures in Autism pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. I have been recording like crazy these last few weeks. I have some really awesome episodes coming up. So definitely stay tuned for that. And until next time, take care.